Hi friends, and welcome to episode 126 of the Yours Truly podcast. My name is Claire Tuning. I am your host, of course. I am also a registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor and probably the biggest fan of all things peanut butter and jelly that you will ever meet. How are you today? Let me tell you. I am sitting here recording this intro, staring out my window, watching some snow flurries happen, which uh, may not be a new or a fun thing for those of you living in the the farther north parts than where I live here in the Washington, D.C. area, but it's been kind of weird because on the... um, The weather app, you know, when I check it daily, because what else is there to do in quarantine other than check the weather? But the weather app has had the little snowflake emoji indicating some percentage chance of snow for like the past two weeks here in Virginia, which um, is kind of uncharacteristic. I mean, we haven't gotten a ton that amounts to much at all, but it has been cool to participate in a little bit of a of a white winter, some snowfall. But um, anyways, with our light weather talk <laughs> out of the way, I am so excited to have not only one podcast guest today, but also uh, another podcast guest. So I have two at once. These are the girls, Hannah and Allie, from the Let Us Eat Cake podcast, and I cannot wait to introduce them to you a little bit more formally here in a couple of minutes, but before we get there, we have to pause for our Yours Truly Goal Slayer featured post of the week. So this post in our free private Facebook community comes from actually one of my previous clients. This client and I, I have such a big smile on my face when I think about her and our work together. We started working together almost a year ago exactly. I think we started working together last January, so January of 2020. She has since gone on to graduate from one-on-one coaching, but she is still very much an active member of our goal-slaying Facebook community, and she took the time a couple of weeks ago at this point from when I'm recording this episode, but she wrote a little reflection in the discussion part of our Facebook community, and I think It's a really important conversation and a reminder that I'm hoping you might find helpful listening here today. So I'm going to quote her exactly and read off the post. She writes, Hi there, I just wanted to address something that I've been seeing a lot of. No, I I misread that. Let me (laughs) rewind, Claire. Let me restart. She says, hi there, I just wanted to address something that I have seen in a lot of intuitive eating accounts recently. So basically they are saying that a lot of people think intuitive eating is eating pizza, ice cream, and cake 24-7, but normally is a mix of those fun foods with other nutritionally dense foods like veggies. And while that might be true, I know there are definitely times that I don't remember having veggies in a week. I might have only eaten those fun foods that week. I just want to validate for you that if you aren't eating nutritionally dense foods with your fun foods right now, that's okay. If I would have seen those posts when I first started my journey, I might have started to second guess myself. 
I hope this makes sense and maybe validates someone. Happy intuitive eating. So I think this poster in this past client of mine brings up a very valid point. And speaking from the perspective of the professional or an intuitive eating practitioner, it is really tempting sometimes for us to say something along the lines of, you know, you'll get to this point in your intuitive eating journey where you're having a mixture and a balance of both the fun foods and the nutrient dense foods, because oftentimes we are inundated with these false beliefs and with this misinformation that intuitive eating is only eating fun foods all the time. And again, from the point of the practitioner, I think many of us are wanting to say, yeah, of course we want to normalize and be inclusive of fun foods and we want to explore our relationship with other foods as well. But I totally understand what this client and this poster is trying to say because I've had many clients voice this with me in our one-on-one sessions. You know, they're saying something along the lines of, well, I am not at that point where I'm including a balance and a mixture of fun and nutrient-dense foods. And because of that, they start to feel like, as this individual was saying, that they're doing something wrong or they're being a quote-unquote bad intuitive eater because they don't have a variety of those foods represented in their lives at a certain point in time. So if this is you, again, like this individual was saying, if you're going throughout a point in your life or a part of your intuitive eating journey where you are more heavily leaning into those fun foods and you don't feel like you have a balance of the other foods, that is okay, right? Everyone's process, everyone's journey is going to be different and it makes a heck of a lot of sense that if you are in the the more beginning stages of this process or if you're really starting to recover from dieting or restrictive eating or disordered eating, whatever we want to call it, that you're going to go through this period of time and uh, who's to say how long this period of time will be, but we call it the honeymoon phase, right? Where it's like if you've been pulling the string all the way, the string of the pendulum that is, all the way to one side, restricting for months and years and decades, and now you have this new lease on life, right? Like this new lease on eating, it makes sense that the pendulum is going to swing to the other side and you're going to be making up for lost time with all of these fun foods and eating adequately and all of the beautiful things that come as part of the re-nourishing and the healing process. And if you are in that phase right now, where for whatever reason, you're not really prioritizing or wanting to emphasize something like a vegetable or a fruit or a whole grain, that is not an indication that you're doing anything wrong or you're a bad person or a bad intuitive eater or anything along those lines. Because again, we have to keep in mind that our food choices have nothing to do with our worth and value as people. Now, if there comes a time in your journey that you want to explore adding in a variety of foods or trying out some different ingredients, that's okay. And that can be a part of this process if and when it is time for you. And I hope if and when that time comes, you have the support 
or the guidance or the footing in this process to not fall into doing that for restrictive or diety reasons. But the moral of the story is it is okay if you are not there right now. And I think that is what this poster was trying to get across. Of course, I cannot speak for her. I can only read the words that she wrote on the wall of our Facebook community, but at least that is what I take away from her post. So as always, if you are reading, or not reading, this is a podcast, if you are hearing, there we go, me share this post and the thoughts that came up for me and, you know, for some of our community members thereafter, and you're thinking, I would love to be in a community that talks about these things, that shares on topics of intuitive eating, where I can ask questions and gather group support, then we would love to have you in our goal-slaying community. If you are interested in joining, you can visit my website, that is clairetuning.com community, and fill out the brief application there that is required in order to to join. Again, that's clairetuning.com slash community, and we will invite you to the community from there. But that is enough of me talking for today's intro, so I am going to introduce both of today's guests. Hannah Robinson and Allie Eberhardt, Allie, I hope I'm saying your last name correctly, are two registered dietitians working in the provincial adult tertiary specialized eating disorders program, that is a mouthful, in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Allie holds a Bachelor of Science in Food, Nutrition, and Health with honors from the University of British Columbia. In addition to her work as the residential treatment program dietitian, she also has a private practice with a focus on eating disorders and disordered eating. Hannah earned a Bachelor of Science in Food, Nutrition, and Health with honors from the University of British Columbia and works in inpatient eating disorder care. In addition to her clinical role, she holds an appointment with the Faculty of Land and Food Systems at the University of British Columbia as a clinical instructor. Together in 2019, they launched the Let Us Eat Cake podcast, which is dedicated to ditching diet culture, addressing weight stigma, and busting nutrition myths that commonly arise in the media. They both practice with a non-diet approach and are strong believers in the health at every size philosophy. You can find them on Instagram at eatcakepod or by searching for Let Us Eat Cake on all podcast streaming apps. So if you are not already familiar with Hannah and Allie from their show, again, the Let Us Eat Cake podcast, 10 out of 10 would recommend checking them out. They are so funny. <laughs> like genuinely, you'll hear me laughing a ton throughout today's episode because they have so much great energy. They have a lot of really wonderful things to say, but they also bring uh, a lightheartedness to many of these topics that I think sometimes we need to take a little bit of the pressure and a little bit of the seriousness out of diet culture as a whole. So if you're familiar with their show, you'll know that their podcast oftentimes takes a Q&A format with their guests. I was actually lucky enough to be on their show. I think our episode aired on Christmas Eve of this 
past year, so Christmas Eve of 2020, but when I was on their show, they were throwing questions at me left and right. So as I was brainstorming for my conversation today with them, I thought, what a better opportunity than to give both of them a little bit of their own medicine, a taste of their own medicine. I think that is the saying, but uh, in the, the kindest and the nicest way possible. So I figured we would do a little Q&A format today with Hannah and Allie. So to give you a little taste of what we're going to be talking about, we have a question on emotional eating and their thoughts on that. We also have a question about snacking at night or, you know, feeling out of control around certain snacks. And then we wrap things up on what to do when no food sounds appetizing, but we know we still need to be eating something to offer our bodies a little bit of fuel and nourishment. So without further ado, here is my Q&A conversation with Hannah and Allie from the Let Us Eat Cake podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Yours Truly podcast. I am sitting here with my friends Hannah and Allie from the Let Us Eat Cake podcast. You both are wearing masks right now. This feels like a very <laughs> feels like a very COVID thing to do while recording. But uh, before we get going in our this or that segment of the episode, how are you both today? Doing okay? We're doing great. We're so excited to be here with you, Claire. I'm sure this will kind of come up later in our episode, but we've already had the privilege of having you on our podcast. So it's so good to see you again and have another chat. Totally. That's like the beauty of podcasting with fellow dietitians is we get to chat multiple times, kind of swapping yeah. <laughs> back and forth spots on each other's shows. But before we dive into some of the Q&A that we're going to do here today, I do have a game that I play with all of my guests before we get into it. So this is called This or That. Maybe you all want to choose who wants to answer first. I don't know if you want to like <laughs> We've played this before. We were just shouting over each other and it was like either we would both say the same thing and we'd cheer or we'd go head to head when we said something different so yeah we're very competitive with one another too so <laughs> it's funny I think you all are maybe like the second or third duo like pair of dietitians that I've interviewed together and I know whenever it's like two on one I always want to ask like who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> We're both like me. <laughs> All right. So uh, a couple of these are food themed and a couple are not. But the first one, very important. Do you prefer salt and vinegar chips or barbecue chips? Salt and vin. Yeah, salt and vin, both. Uh, you and are I love them all. Love them all. <laughs> chips, right. There's not a chip that I've met that I didn't like. So, But salt and vinegar for sure. I echo that. I love potatoes in all forms. That they oh, I'm in. with you. Gorgeous, gorgeous food. We love them. I also, uh, when you all said salt and vinegar, like I know we can definitely be friends now because the snack that I had literally right before I came in here to hit record was the bottom of a bag of salt and vinegar chips. So you Perfect. see where I got that question from. <laughs> uh, one. So when it comes to your perfect day or your ideal day, would you prefer it to be relaxing or adventurous? I'd say you're adventurous and I'm relaxing. Hannah's definitely more adventurous than I am. I, I think probably maybe like a combination, but definitely I'm more of the, 
uh, rest and relaxation gal. And Hannah is for sure the adventurer of the two of us. (laughs) In my mind, I like love the idea of having a relaxing day. I'm like, oh, this will be so great. I'll just chill, relax, self-care. I'm three minutes in and I'm like, where can I go? What can I do? Who can I call? So Allie's definitely right. (laughs) I resonate with that attitude very much. It's like, don't get me wrong. I love to slow down sometimes and chill out. But most of the times I feel like my default mode is like, what can I do? Can I see? (laughs) What can I do myself doing? So I feel like it's good to have a balance of both though. Yes. Um, Next one, hot weather or sweater weather? (laughs) <laughs> I I love the sweater weather um bit but hot for sure hot for sure I'm a lizard I belong in the sun I sun myself I find hot spaces just to lay in it's my happy place I'm definitely a hot weather gal yeah same for me well, this, I can imagine that is not the time of year for you all in British <laughs> Columbia. We're from Canada, for those people yeah. who don't know us yet. Um, we do live in, like, the warmest part, but... Yeah, we, we still... live in a very temperate part of Canada, but still gets very cold, and we're looking out at, like, a very gray, dreary day, but... I mean, the thing about where we live is we get to take advantage of the mountains. So at least if it's going to be cold, we get some like outdoor activities to come along with it. But I grew up in a province that is very cold um, with no mountains. And so (laughs) it definitely is nice to be out here if it's going to be cold. But hot weather for sure. We're both vacationers in spirit, (laughs) not in the year of 2020. But we were. Yeah, 2021 is definitely going to bring something new. So we'll cross our fingers, right? We'll cross our fingers. Um, Final two, sweet or savory? Like I know we love both, but if you had to pick one, what are you? The sweet gal, the savory gal? Savory. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we are called the Let Us Eat Cake podcast, but do not be mistaken. I think we answered this already. We pick chips all day, every day, cheese forever we, and always. We love a gorgeous cheese. <laughs> Cheeses. We would choose cheese over anything else. And a marinara? And a nice marinara. I, uh, I didn't think it could get any better when you said salt and vinegar <laughs> chips, but then you went on to profess your love for cheese and I have... Heart eye emojis for both. <laughs> I uh, I won't tell your listeners. If any of your listeners have crept over to hear this interview, we're just we can keep it a secret that even though your podcast is named after cake, you like savory food. Maybe maybe you should rebrand. Maybe it should be called the Let Us Eat Salt and Vinegar Chips and Cheese. Well, we, <laughs> we have been called just the Let's Eat Girls, which okay. is hysterical in every way, but also very true. Yeah. So it's a good way to shorten it. Yeah, uh, final one. This is about TV shows. So if you had to choose one genre, would you pick comedy or would you pick drama? Hmm. Is reality television an option? Like to write in option three. Sure. If you'd like to write in your own option, you have the freedom to do so. Well, that's the beauty of reality television is that you get the best of both worlds. You get the drama, but the drama is so intense that it's hysterical. So that's my pick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely more of the drama or murder documentaries kind of a kind of like genre that I like to go for. So 
but reality TV is definitely my all-time favorite. <laughs> that's a that's a really good point about reality TV. I've never really viewed it as kind of like the in-between of all the genres, uh, cringe-worthiness included. I don't know. I had never, speaking of reality TV, I had never watched Survivor a day in my life until they just uploaded onto Netflix, like season 28, just like a random season. And my partner's like, oh my gosh, I used to watch Survivor all the time. I love the show. I was like, sure, I'll see what it's about. And of course, like 10 minutes into the first episode, I was sucked in. I was like, drama, challenges, living in the wilderness. Like, it was great. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect There's a reason we're in season 1,822 of Survivor. (laughs) They just keep making them. They keep on coming. Um, Well, now that we've played our this or that, I would love for you all to maybe just take a moment and introduce yourselves for anyone who's not familiar with the both of you, with your podcast. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what your show is about? Well, um, I will introduce us kind of on behalf of both of us, because although we are very different people, we there's a lot of overlap, but we are both registered dietitians who work in a specialized adult eating disorders program here in Vancouver, British Columbia. So I work more in an inpatient setting, whereas Allie works more with our residential program. Mm-hmm. And so we've both been working in this program for a number of years and kind of two years ago, I guess now, kind of looked at each other and we're like, you know what? We need to start a podcast. (laughs) We were tired of this BS out there about health and wellness and nutrition. We're both huge podcast fans, but found we really wanted to like bridge that gap between the hilarious podcasts, the like comedy podcasts we listen to, but also like the nutrition ones that we were like listening to every week and getting such important and valuable information from. And so we came up with the idea of taking all the questions that our patients had ever written us or asked us before, and we created the Lettuce Eat Cake podcast. And every episode is dedicated to answering questions that listeners or followers or even our patients kind of write into us and the rest is history. Yeah, this season we've like branched out to have guests on our podcast and I mean you were one of our amazing guests and I think by the time this comes out your episode will have already Uh aired. Um, But yeah, it's been really cool to connect and collaborate with like-minded professionals who work in the area and work in the field of anti-diet and you know kicking diet culture's butt so it's been really awesome and yeah we we are both really passionate about the work that we do in this field so we're really excited to connect with you and we both love murder podcasts as well but we just couldn't quite figure out how to incorporate the three so we stuck with comedy and nutrition although we're killing diet culture that's that's it exactly that's it. we did it yeah that's kind of a it reminds me of that this or that question that i just asked you all where you chose to uh, put reality tvs like the combination of comedy and drama it seems like that was a really common theme and coming up with your podcast like how can we passion the fun <laughs> aspects of nutrition be funny about it be lighthearted sometimes but also save a little bit of space to talk about the really important questions and the more serious topics that people bring up and too it must be so fun to be able to be a duo doing a podcast that's something i know a couple dietitian duos as we were talking about before we hit record that podcast together and part of me is like 
that must be such a fun added layer to podcasting to like always have someone to banter with. Like, do you all love like doing <laughs> this as a duo? I mean, hopefully you do if you have your show. Actually, no. Now that you asked, Claire, I think this is a good time for me to let Hannah know that we're separated. <laughs> we hate it. Um, heard it here first. They're breaking, yeah. breaking news. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Not like, not only do we podcast together, we work so closely in our programs here at the Eating Disorder Clinic together. We're actually real life friends. So we hang out. Our partners are friends. We have a great group of friends. Like there isn't much that we're not doing together. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good thing that we get along so well, but you know what? We both have like differences that complement each other really well. And so it's just, yeah, we have a great, uh, we're really fortunate because yes, we started this endeavor together and it would have been really sad to see if murder did come into the podcast because one of us had to go. And I'll tell you, I've listened to way more murder podcasts than Hannah. I would be the one still standing. So. Well, uh, I'm glad you all are not this coming Monday's episode of Crime Junkie. Glad to know that you're still here. This that, is uh, taking a really dark turn. I have to say, now that you brought up Murder Mystery Podcast, that is also one of my new favorite. Like, I have a newfound love. I, when I say new, within the past, like, six months, I first discovered, I dabbled, and I kept having these thoughts, like, is it weird that I like listening to this? Like, I went back and forth, but then I realized it's one of the most popular genres. So I was like, anything that literally the majority of the population is doing, it can't be that weird, right? No, totally. Yeah. I think it's fabulous. And I'll tell you something. <laughs> I also solve the cases. So that's kind of like another layer. I write into the police stations and let them know that I've caught the criminal in my mind. So if you aren't taking it that far, you're probably more in the normal realm. I'm definitely an extreme podcaster because I solve the crimes, but well, got to keep our citizens safe. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have the, uh, the option to do your own podcast if you're that into the world of podcasting. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, with that, now that I feel like we know you way better, I say we, like me and my community, we know both of you way better than we did like 10, 15 minutes ago. I actually, for kind of the structuring and the planning of this episode, I let you all know that I was actually going to take a page out of your book of making this kind of a Q&A episode. I've done Q&A episodes of the podcast before, but I've done them solo, and I'm so happy to have other individuals to share the love with and share some of the answers with because uh, doing a Q&A episode on your own can sometimes be a lot of words, mm-hmm, a lot of totally. dry mouth that comes with it. So uh, I have three questions. I figure we'll just start with one. You all can kind of weigh in, offer your thoughts and opinions. And if we get too close to our time, we can always cut out the last one, but I'm hopeful we will be able to get through all three. So the first one, and all of these questions were sourced from a question box that I put up on my Instagram story a couple of days ago. So this first listener, watcher, whatever you want to call them, writes, how would you recommend starting a journey to stop emotional eating? What are your guys' thoughts there? That's a great question. I mean, I think, I mean, a few things kind of come to my mind and obviously Hannah, you jump in as well, but you know, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is this sort of like pathologizing that we've done around the idea of emotional eating. Like we've 
kind of a lot of circles, certainly like the diet industry, like in the mask of the wellness industry has kind of come up with this idea that, okay, we can accept now that we do need to eat for nutrition and we do need to eat to fuel our bodies. And maybe we need to eat to, you know, feel strong and feel capable, but anything outside of physiological need needs to be earned or needs to be really understood and careful. We need to be really cautious about decisions we make around food if they aren't 100% dictated by our internal cue of hunger or our physiological body. Um, but I, I disagree with that. Like, I think one of the like, you know, most beautiful things about being a human being is that we get to connect on such a deeper level with food. And so, you know, when clients come to me and we're talking about emotional eating, like that's kind of the first step is like looking at, well, what exactly do you mean about emotional eating like or by emotional eating? Do you mean that as a result of maybe following a bit of a calorie restricted diet or as a result of focusing on weight change that you're not getting enough nutrition during the day? And so there are opportunities or times that you feel like you lose control around food or that you distract through food or that you escape through food. Well, that's something we can look at more the actions around how you're nourishing yourself regularly and consistently. If by emotional eating, you mean that you actually have preference for foods that you enjoy and that foods that maybe at some point there was sort of a morality associated with, like someone has de decided or, or, or learned through experience or through the media, or through peer groups that something is a bad food or something that we should be really careful of eating. And so certain emotions come up around that. Well, I think that's a different story. And so I guess, yeah, first step for me would be working on kind of having an understanding and maybe changing our kind of our language that we use around food to begin with. And certainly I think that it can be so easy to attribute any feelings where you might feel out of control around food or might feel like your decisions around food are, um, are driven by emotion to just being in the emotional realm and what can be really important place to start is to look just at how people are, are kind of addressing their physical needs throughout the day as well the first place i always look at with um, clients who might be struggling with more emotional eating is figuring out if they're actually eating enough throughout the day to start with i think there's a couple things we need to acknowledge the first is that physical restriction makes us more emotional. And so if you're more emotional and you're more hungry, of course we're going to see quote unquote emotional eating. But I think it's important to tease out, are you eating because of those emotions? Are you actually eating because there's more of a physical need going on throughout the day? You might not always have those classic hunger fullness cues leading up, up to those emotional eating things, which can make it hard to nourish yourself consistently, but we had a conversation about this with Caroline Dooner on our own podcast where she shared that with the people she works in and certainly in her own experience, a majority of the time when there's emotional eating going on, there's some sort of physical or mental restriction that's going on leading up to that. And that's a really important thing to address. Yeah. I really appreciate how that was kind of a theme in both of your answers. Like, okay, before we jump right into pathologizing emotional eating or labeling it a bad thing. Like, let's get curious about what could this behavior actually mean? Like, what could it point to? And, you know, something that I always say to my clients is eating when you are hungry is like, or eating when you have an emotion and are physically hungry. Like that's not emotional eating. That's just eating. 
the end of the day, yeah. <laughs> right? Like we have to make sure those physical needs are met because we cannot override our biology, right? At the end of the day, biology is always going to win. And in addition to what both of you said, I think just the one little thing that I would add or follow up with is like, once you've addressed those physical needs and making sure that you are fully nourished and have those met, I think it's also really important to understand that eating in the face of an emotion can be a coping skill. Mm -hmm. It can be one of the tools in your toolbox, right? Of course, can we have others as well that we maybe explore? You could chat about with a dietitian or a therapist or maybe even a trusted friend or family member, of course, but we don't have to like abolish that coping skill from our toolbox, right? I think that's also where diet culture gets it wrong. It's like, oh, you do this thing, stop doing that. That's awful. But I think it can definitely have a, a place and a time, especially sometimes that might be the only thing that's accessible or available to turn to in the moment. So I think we kind of need to normalize that as well. Would you all agree with that? Definitely. And like, actually just had a conversation with a client about this, where we were talking about her not wanting to become dependent on using nutrition for comfort and this idea that like, but isn't that bad? And I wouldn't want to create a dependency or a pattern around like, this is a way of like comforting or, you know, supporting myself. And so we kind of like, we talked about what that would look like. So, you know, the example she was using was just having a really difficult day, a difficult phone conversation and going into her bedtime snack, there was a snack that she really wanted and something that she did feel like was going to be like soothing, not just physiologically, but emotionally as well. And that she was fearful of having it because of that, like not wanting to become dependent. But we talked about like if her partner, for example, had made her that snack, you know, same snack, how would that feel? That would feel caring. That would feel supportive. That would feel like, a, you know, something nice being done for her. If she in turn did that for someone else, like if she made a really nice meal or a really nice, delicious snack or baked cookies for someone and they said, you know what, those were so good. I'm going to have a third cookie. You know, do we view that as an emotional dependence? No, but something about the way that we treat ourselves isn't always with that same way of comfort and kindness and support. And so, you know, starting to look at like, why would the rules be different for the way that I treat me? So if I think this is like a lovely thing I would do for someone or something, like if, you know, my friend said to me, I'm having a really terrible day, the best thing for me would be an ice cream cone. Like, why would that, me doing that for my friend be any different than me doing it for myself? And so I think it's really important that we kind of, again, just look at like these labels and the way we talk to ourselves and the way we treat ourselves that would differ from how we treat someone we care about. Yeah, I've, I've never heard someone take kind of like that angle to emotional eating. It always reminds me of the question, like what makes me unique in a way that like, I don't deserve the same care or compassion mm -hmm. that I would show someone else. Like, I think that's a, a cool way to frame it. Um, anything else to add on that question before we go to the next one? I no, that, yeah, that sounds yeah. like a good place. I mean, I'm sure we could talk. Yeah, I could talk. About it. <laughs> There's lots to say. Yeah, we could talk about that topic for probably hours and hours on end and all of the, the nuance that there often is there. But I think for a, a place to start, because yeah, that person's question was, where would you recommend starting? And I think yeah. we covered some, some starting points. Meet so your second, physical needs and work on self-compassion. Boom. <laughs> Spark notes version. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. Uh, second question. This person writes, I feel like I eat so much during the day, but also feel out of control and wanting multiple snacks before bed. 
I know this is more of a statement than it is a question, but I just wanted your thoughts on a situation like this. I think the thing that really stands out to me is that saying that we always hear about don't should all over yourself, right? Uh This idea that you should be eating less or you shouldn't be eating as much as you are during the day or how is it that I need so much more than I think I should need. And, And I think that's a really good place to start is where do we get this idea of what we should be eating and eating so much more? Right. And I think um, coming back and just recognizing that our like, where are we getting the information about what our body needs? If our body is telling us that it's hungry throughout the day and we're eating meals and snacks in order to meet that need, that's a great, great thing. And if there's still that hunger late at night, again, that's your body giving you signs that you need food. And I think it can be so easy to try and find all these different ways to manage hunger without actually eating. Mm -hmm. And spoiler alert, there are none. (laughs) Hunger is a sign that our body needs food and food actually is the only thing that is going to meet that physical need. So that's kind of the first thing that I would kind of say to this person, just, um, don't worry about what you think you should need compared to what you are doing. And then maybe, I guess, the second place to look and just kind of maybe from more a dietitian uh, nutrition standpoint is maybe looking at the types of foods that you're eating, kind of the meal composition. Mm-hmm. Is there a place that we could look at kind of looking at what types of things you're having and whether that's fully promoting satiety and not just this fullness throughout the day, but really looking at a way to feel satisfied from the meals and snacks and foods that you are eating. Right. Like we can't convince our body it needs less nutrition than it does, despite what a diet is telling you, what your friend on Instagram is telling you, like your body knows best and it is very wise and it actually is very skilled at survival. But like Hannah was saying, you know, fullness is not the same thing as satiation. And a lot of the times people will eat foods that are really physically filling, foods that expand our stomach. So maybe like a big high fiber salad, but that doesn't contain a lot of protein or doesn't contain a lot of carbohydrate or grains and starches. And so you might feel physically full, but pretty soon after your body recognizes that its nutrient needs weren't met. And so you don't stay satiated. And so a lot of the time, like I love the phrase too much or so much because it's like one of my favorite routes in to do some exploration. Like what exactly do we mean by that? And according to who? According to whom did we decide that that would be so much food? Maybe it's compared to what you were doing before and maybe you're making some really good progress on, you know, breaking free from some of that like restrictive diet kind of mentality. Maybe you think it's so much compared to a person in your life or compared to maybe, you know, for some people, I think there's this like internalized weight stigma that they hold. If they have any beliefs about their body, they have also a belief about what it quote unquote should need. And so, you know, it's important to kind of look at a can of sad, like where are we getting our our standard that we're comparing against to decide that it's so much or too much and that it should be enough. Because like Hannah said, your body's telling you it's not. And so your body doesn't have an ulterior motive. It's not rooted in trying to trick you or punish you. It's just trying to support you. And when we give it the tools it needs, it actually does that very, very skillfully. It's just when we try to trick it with maybe more filling foods or foods that like give us artificial satiation, but don't last very long that we can get into trouble. And sometimes our body needs to scream at us, you know, to get its needs met. And 
um, it's going to do that. And that can sometimes be really confusing, but at the end of the day, like our body isn't giving us those cues to try and like sneak something away. It's, it's for a reason. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, like that visual of your body having to like scream at you to get your attention. Like, I think that's what for a lot of people feels really uncomfortable and it feels kind of alarming. And I think that's where sometimes, and I'm wondering if this is maybe the case for the person asking the question that can kind of be the root of I've done something wrong. I did something bad because this feels chaotic or it feels out of control. But I think what I'm hearing from both of you, and I would echo this as well. It's like, could we take that feeling that feels uncomfortable, it feels alarming and use that to help us get curious. Like, what could I be exploring more? Like both of you said, like, where am I getting the shoulds from? What am I comparing, you know, my eating to, or even am I eating meals that might feel filling in the moment, but they're not actually kind of checking the box of helping us to find that satisfaction factor. So you all summed up that beautifully, like literally every bullet point that I had in my mind, like I would say this, I would add this, you all got all of them. So um, anything else to add on that one before we pop over to our final question? Well, I think, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I think it just like you said, Claire, like when we have these feelings where we feel out of control with food, it's important to recognize that that is a very protective mechanism that our body has in place because it wants to keep us safe and it wants to keep us well. When our body is in a state of famine or hunger, it doesn't know the difference between whether that's because you've been eating, the example we keep using is like a big salad all day that isn't totally satisfying, or you're in the middle of a desert somewhere with no access to food. Mm -hmm. And so our body is saying, okay, if I maybe make her start thinking about food or make them start thinking about food more, or if I make food taste a lot better, or if I kind of increase the pace at which they eat so that they get more food in, that's a way that your body overrides you in those moments to ensure that you get the nutrition you need. And so often that out of control feeling that this um, listener or viewer wrote in, that's actually a protective mechanism that your body has. And so just be curious about that rather than having that judgment of like, my body shouldn't feel this out of control. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of what Ali was saying, like the, um, I love how you're using the word skillful when you're describing the body. I think earlier you said our body is very skillful at surviving. And, and when you put it in that frame of like, your body does this to protect you, like it's doing this so you can survive. I think when we can see things through that lens, it opens up a lot of space to maybe view this reaction in a more compassionate way. Like, yeah. oh, this is happening for a reason. Nothing's wrong with me. It actually makes sense why this is happening. Like, I think that's a beautiful picture that you just painted. Um, yeah. And like, I like to think of it as like a relationship with our body. So like the same way, like if you're healing a relationship that's been fractured, you wouldn't want the only times that you kind of respond to their needs to be when they have to scream at you or have a big temper tantrum. Like you want to start to be able to kind of like read those nonverbals or start to notice that maybe their body language has changed or you can sense that maybe something is going on with them. Of course, like 
you want there to be healthy communication back and forth. But similarly with our body, like the more we kind of provide for our body in those reactive moments, the more we're going to start to notice before that reaction comes, right? Like we're going to start to sense that even if we did eat like a lunch that was like typically satiating, but it was a bit later and we didn't feel quite as satiated from it, like we're going to be okay with responding by having a, a snack sooner, you know? And so it's like starting to get to know those subtle cues, not just like the, like the big loud ones, because obviously any relationship isn't going to thrive if the only time you're having communication is screaming and, you know, you want there to be like those moments of being able to like respond and communicate sooner. So I think it's it, like we've said, it's a skill. It takes time, patience, but bingo, the biggest thing is self-compassion, like just being really kind to yourself. Yeah. I think it's like getting familiar with those reactive moments, like the big, loud, screaming moments so that in the future you can learn to be more proactive. But I think it requires just getting familiar with those moments that feel a little bit scary and reactive, as you were saying. So final question. And this one, I didn't plan it this way, but it kind of ties in uh, maybe a little bit with some of the satisfaction stuff that you were just talking about, both of you. But this individual writes, do you have any tips on what to do when no food seems appetizing? No matter what I make, I just don't want it by dinner time. Yeah, I think it's a tough one. I mean, I think, again, there's this idea that when we are eating intuitively or eating aligned with our physical cues or any of sort of like even the buzzwords of like kind of like healing our relationship with food, that every eating moment or every instance of eating is going to be this like pleasurable romance to like, I listen to what my senses are craving and I'm like having this gorgeous like mouthfeel and all these things. And The reality is, is that like, we're all busy. We're going through, you know, hopefully by the time this is airing, like things are starting to be more and more light at the end of the tunnel. But like, this has been a tough year. It's been a year full of so many challenges for so many people and emotions are just like, our emotions are an incredible factor in how we connect to appetite, our desire to eat, our interest in food. And so you know, sometimes we just lose that piece. And I think there can be a lot of pressure that like, I'm not eating well, or I'm doing some harm if I'm not always connecting to food in that pleasurable way. And like, so the first thing I would really encourage for this, this listener is to just try and like, be kind again to themselves that like, you know, just the act of nourishing our body is so important. And so sometimes we're not going to necessarily feel that appetite, The thing I also would just be kind of curious about, and of course we can't like sit here and explore this with this listener, but you know, is, are there those shoulds associated? Like, is there a piece of like, but this Instagram influencer did this 30 day menu plan. And so like, I have all the food and I've prepped it all and it isn't appetizing because it's truly not what I actually enjoy or what I prefer, but I feel like there's a part here that I have to do this or I should do this to achieve some sort of goal. So like, I guess I would sort of want to look at it from both angles. Like, again, like, where is the menu plan coming from? Like, is it truly just because that's things that typically you liked? And maybe there's other factors going on that are influencing your appetite. Or is it because it's sort of like in that should realm of trying to force yourself to incorporate chia seeds, but really you don't like how they get stuck in your teeth, you know? So, yeah, I think I love so much what you said there, Ali, about sometimes there's a difference between appetite and there's a difference between appetite and hunger. 
hunger is like what our body is physically telling us it needs. It's saying, I have low energy or I'm getting shakier and my stomach is growling. Um, and my body actually needs that energy from food. Whereas appetite is more about what this listener describes as like, I, what I feel like eating, what I like the taste of, what the experience of eating is. I'm craving a specific food. And we need to remember that although it's great when they exist together, they don't always exist together at the same time. And the example that I give to kind of highlight this is being sick. I know when I'm sick, the last thing on earth I feel like doing is eating. No food feels that good. I don't feel great. Nothing tastes good. I don't feel that appetite. But what I know about my body and the human body is when I am sick, my energy needs are up. My body needs more fuel to fight off this illness or whatever's going on in my body. So there's definitely still hunger, but I not, might not actually be feeling it. Just because I'm not feeling it, does that mean that I don't need to eat? No, unfortunately not. Will it be kind of what Ali described? Like maybe a bit of a slog, like what we call mechanical eating, where it's like, you know what? I don't really feel like this, but like this is what my body needs right now. And so I'm just kind of going to get through this. Um, that kind of has to be your approach some of the time. Um, but I think also remembering that that will be temporary. I think it can feel really daunting to be like, you mean I have to eat three to six times a day when I don't feel like it and nothing tastes good? Maybe temporarily. And I think like once your body gets back to that place where it's better nourished, there's hope that some of that appetite will resolve for sure. And I almost kind of view that like as a great way to show respect for your body. It's like, mm -hmm. I, yeah, like I, nothing really sounds that great right now, but yeah, Hannah, as you were saying that the absence of wanting to eat something, like nothing sounds good, like that doesn't necessarily mean that the body just poof, automatically doesn't need fuel, <laughs> right? Yeah. Again, what we know about our biology, how the human body works is we need adequate fuel on a regular basis, especially when we're sick when we're healing, even when we're just existing as a human mm -hmm, being. Yeah. So I think it's really important to say, hey, one way that I can create and show respect for my body is to honor that physiological need, even when I don't 100% feel like it. Like that's a, a really great place to start. And Ali, I think that kind of ties into what you were saying about kind of getting that idea out of our minds that every eating experience is going to be amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be wonderful, right? Like, of course, we can hope that some of our eating experiences throughout this process will be really memorable and might even have some mindful aspects and can be really satisfying. But I think it's kind of an unrealistic expectation to think that every meal is going to be amazing. I'm going to be perfectly satisfied. I'm going to have exactly what I want in front of me. So I think sometimes it does have to be a little bit more mechanical, as you were saying, but too, just that reminder that it can be temporary. Like this won't be every eating experience. And I think that is really important to, to keep in mind as well. Um, yeah, that was great. Any other questions or thoughts, comments, things that you kind of wanted to add to that? I think the one thing that I always encourage people to explore in that situation where Ali is talking about this, so much pressure put on every single meal. Like what I often hear clients say is, I want to make it count. Mm. And I think that that's such an interesting thing to explore because I think that's what diet culture wants us to believe. That like, 
we always want to get away with eating the littlest amount possible. And so you really need to get good bang for your buck. You, you want it to taste really good. You want to have this amazing experience. And when we kind of shift our focus to being like, yeah, food is this great way to enjoy and have pleasure and connect with people and um, enjoy taste, but it's also at the end of the day, fuel for our body and what it needs to survive. And I think diet culture kind of robs us of that sometimes. That sometimes food is just food and it's just fuel. Um, and it can be both. So I think just identifying diet culture's kind of sneaky little way in there is, is a really important thing to mention. Yeah. And I think that almost comes from that, like the last supper mentality in a way where it's yeah. like, well, if I'm going to eat this, or I even think of someone like maybe in a, a tracking approach to nutrition, right? Like if yeah. I'm going to use some of my allotted, whatever it might be for the day to have this, I might as well really get my bang for my buck or I have to really enjoy it, right? It's almost kind of that transactional approach to food that I think is perpetuated by the diet mentality. That's kind of where we learn that. So I think unlearning that and yeah, like you were saying, some eating experiences are just going to be for fueling and that's okay. Like the more we can normalize that, I think the easier, I use that word easy <laughs> very lightly, but the easier this process can become over time. Um, okay. Those are the three questions that I had for you all. I'm like looking at our time and I'm proud of the three of us. We perfectly <laughs> got all the thoughts in. We're like right here around our time. So as we're working to a close here, I know everyone who is listening to this episode is not only going to want more of your nutrition advice, but also more of your humor. <laughs> so could you tell our listeners where to find the both of you, how to find your podcast and we'll go from there. Yeah. So our podcast is available wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple podcasts, you name it, you name it. You can find us just search for let us eat cake. If you want the most up-to-date um, info about our podcast, they do release every Thursday, but we also have an Instagram. You can find us at eat cake pod. Uh, we have Lots of fun stuff on there, including our very own virtual snack support weekdays at 3 p.m. PST. That is where you're going to see our humor, our quirkiness, just how rogue we really go. So every day at three o'clock, the two of us sit down with our friend and colleague and we eat a snack and we... Chat do jokes who knows what <laughs> sometimes we sing sometimes we tell fun facts sometimes we play would you rather but really the goal of that is just to connect with people have a designated res um, reserve time to have a snack connect with people throughout the day and we would love if people headed over and joined us there it's tons of fun i love that i love the idea too especially in the virtual world that we're all living in, like being able to connect and have that allotted time where we're coming together to laugh, to connect, and also to eat and nourish yeah. our bodies. That's really cool. And I'm hopeful that some of our listeners who are maybe thinking, I could really use some support around a snack time or maybe even a laugh in the middle yeah. of the day. 
hopefully that'll be something that they check out. But um, Hannah and Allie, it's been really wonderful connecting with both of you again for this podcast. Um, it was great getting to know you, listening to some of your answers. I feel like I selfishly uh, am taking lots of mental notes. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to add that to the way I describe that. And you all taught me something here. So it was really wonderful. And I can't wait for our listeners to come find you on your show. But as we sign off, I'll say yours truly, Claire and Allie and Hannah. And that's a wrap for episode 126 here on the Yours Truly podcast. As always, if you're enjoying anything that you're hearing here on the show, it would mean the world to me if you could take a couple of moments, however much time you have, to tap those five stars if you were listening here in Apple Podcasts, and also take a moment to leave a review because that is the best way to help the show grow and reach the ears of more listeners. But that is all we have for you this week. As always, thank you for tuning in, and until next week, take care.